We're into the second half of the 2020 MotoGP season and we're really enjoying bringing you these podcasts from the-race.com. Toby Moody and Simon Patterson here, fresh seeing Fabio Quattararo take victory at the Catalan MotoGP to make it three wins from eight races to put him well and truly back in the title chase. After 915 kilometres of racing, Quattararo is now eight points ahead of Joan Mir, who was second in Barcelona. And the Frenchman is now 18 points ahead of Maverick Vinales, who had a dismal race in which he finished ninth. Andrea De Vizioso was knocked off in a racing incident at the first corner after a chain reaction of Petrucci having a wobble, causing Zarco to fall and take out De Vizioso. But at the end of the race, Quattararo was just deliriously overjoyed with taking those 25 points. And all of this happened whilst Valentino Rossi was in touch with the lead but fell when in second place and within a second of the lead. Was it going to have been Valentino Rossi's first win since Assen 2017? We'll have to wait another day for that one. But the big story was that two Suzukis were back on the podium together, with Mir making his usual top gear from the rear job after qualifying a lowly eighth. But that means it's now his third podium on the trot. He's now ruining those two non-scores from Hareth and Bruno, but what's done is done. Simon Patterson joining me. Let us start from the top, shall we, Simon, with that victory of Fabio Quattararo. Are Yamaha back on form, or have these just been Yamaha-friendly tracks? Uh, like we said in last week's podcast, Toby, we are seeing a consistent trend among Yamahas where... If Yamahas can qualify at the front of the race, if Yamahas can lead at the end of the first lap, they can win the race. That's what Quadraro managed to do. He's the, the 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 third Yamaha rider this year, you know, that's been able to do that. They've taken five wins now with him, with Morbidelli, with Vinales. They've all done it the same way. We saw Valentino Rossi, like you said, in second yesterday, looking really, really strong for all the same reasons. But what we still haven't seen is a Yamaha that can start from a little bit further back and actually mix up some places and come forward and win a race that way, which, unfortunately, you need to be able to do that as well as uh, the old Jorge Lorenzo flag-to-flag win style, don't you? You need to be able to do a bit of both. You do indeed, you do indeed. I mean, Yamaha, they locked out the front row on Saturday afternoon with a 1-2-3, Morbidelli, Quattararo, Valentino Rossi... Um, it, it is a long way from the start line down to the first corner at Barcelona. Speed has never been their friend. And in fact, in the race, Quattararo was only ninth in the top speed table, giving away 10 kilometers an hour to the fastest guy. Vinales was 16th in the top speed table. Rossi, 18th. Morbidelli, 19th. So again, it's proving that the Yamahas are quick around the wiggly bits over the uh, over the straight lines. All much the same, by the way, those positions in top speed as last year at Barcelona. So nothing's really changed, less for the fact that uh, Mark Marquez is not around, of course. Uh, by the way, race pace, exactly the same, give or take a couple of seconds or so. So it was uh, there and thereabouts. Uh, 
But as you say, if they lead, they've got a chance. And as we've seen with Quattararo, when he leads, he's off. Yeah, that's absolutely it. There, there's no stopping him once he, once he manages to get that break. Although, in saying that, I think yesterday there maybe was a chance of stopping him until Valentino Rossi made a very uncharacteristic mistake and uh, fell from the race. Yes. Quattararo was quick. But he wasn't that quick at the end of the race. No, no. His pace dropped off all about the tyre management. Valentino said after the race in Misano, we did something different on the bike. And technically, it was not very strong. This weekend, Barcelona, was very different because I was always competitive. We saw that in qualifying. And of course, we saw that in the race. I was good on the bike. I rode well. This is very good, said Valentino. Today I was at the limit. That's the kind of thing that you want to hear, isn't it? Because they've got confidence in the motorcycle. I was at the limit because I was behind Fabio and I didn't want to lose a lot. I wanted to stay with him. But on the left, it is always dangerous, especially with a low temperature. And I lost the front. And he lost the front through a left-hander. And the previous left-hander was what? 25, 30 seconds beforehand on the, the way into the stadium area. That's it. I got a text message last night from a, a crew chief who was on the podium yesterday to say, rider skill won't determine 2020, temperatures will. Because from now on, that's what we're going to see at every race. We're going to see cold tra track temperatures. We're going to see a real battle to find a tyre that works every weekend and we're going to see more and more silly mistakes from people who let one side of the tyre cool down and suddenly find themselves sitting in the gravel trap thinking what the hell happened yeah. there tyre management and balance it's the same for everybody but that balance is quite something didn't know that we'd have a Phillip Island Grand Prix in Europe but it looks like we will do because <laughs> it's always cold at Phillip Island and they always have a tyre temperature problem on at least one of the three days of a Grand Prix there so yeah, it is that uh, that balance. It caught out Valentino. The airbag may have gone off, but to say he was deflated is quite something. Uh, he just knew. I just think he just knew that it's too much of a of a bridge to cross to try and get back up the order in the World Championship because he's now 11th. He's 50 points behind. It's all doable, but... Of course. There's a point at which reality does need to kick in. Could he have won it yesterday? Of course he could have won it, but would he have done? I just don't know because it's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I I think whenever you look at how much Quadraro's pace dropped off, when you look at the the amount of time that a few of the rivals closed in on him, from much further back in the field towards the end of the race. Yeah, I have to say, I think Rossi could have done it yesterday, which is not something I say often these days. No, Aston 2017, long time ago. Yeah. Reminiscent yesterday of uh, Sepang, was it Sepang 18, where he led the almost the entire race until the last few laps. Mark Marquez put a little bit of pressure on him and he had made a silly mistake. Shades of that. I see. I almost put that Malaysia off at the first corner, that Malaysian slide, almost in a different kind of box to what happened to Valentino in Barcelona 2020. Um, he was pushing too hard. He's pushing too hard in both instances. But yeah, that, that cold tyre, 
befell him yesterday, that cold left-hand side of the tarp. Mm. But if anybody's done more kilometers on a bike, please stand up. Yeah. If there's anyone in the paddock who's got the experience to know when the tire's probably going to be a bit cold, it's probably the 41-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine how many kilometers he's done on a Grand Prix bike? Especially around Barcelona, which used to be the, the home of MotoGP testing. He's probably done enough kilometers to go to the moon around each individual racetrack, <laughs> but... Uh, Maybe somebody can work that out for us. That that's a, that's a, that's a week's <laughs> job. That. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, Valentino. Whilst we're talking about him, let's wrap up what we've always known in 2020 that he was going to Patronus in 2021. We knew that Quattararo was going into Mon into Monster Yamaha for 2021, and it would be a swapsy. Rossi essentially getting the same kits, different coloured leathers, uh, not taking all of his crew around him. Don't forget the Patronus have got their established crew and they need to look after their faithful soldiers. You can't always squeeze everybody in just because, well, he's been around forever. So the other guys, they'll either stay at Yamaha, they'll either go to another team or they will go home because they've done it for many many a year but finally the deal is done and I think in his mind he's probably more settled which is in my view one of the reasons why Valentino was going so well in Barcelona yeah I think so completely it's um it's hard to imagine that Valentino Rossi is still someone that gets a bit nervous about signing a contract and all that but you know we saw at the weekend you look down the grid across all three classes at all the guys who signed contracts this weekend and it was like someone had given them an extra 10 brake horsepower across all, you know, people like Tony Arbolino that's had a real struggle in Moto3 this year, signs his Moto2 contract, pole position, wins the race. Boom. It, it's funny, the psychology of a racer's brain. But, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think getting it off, getting it all done, getting pen and paper has just taken a bit of pressure off even Valentino Rossi. We all knew he was not going to go anywhere else, but it's done and it's done, so... Yeah, that's uh, that's put to bed. Second in the race, Juan Mir. He's he's a boy, isn't he? He's quite something. A <laughs> uh, couple of things. Can Mir really fight for the title? I think I know the answer to that from you. With these late race charges every time, he's eight points back of the title lead at the moment. I think I know the answer, Simon. Go on, just say it. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be there until the end. He's gonna be there until the end. He just needs to fix qualifying. That's the problem. I've I've just I've just been writing something on this just before we jumped into the into the recording the podcast. The worst position that a race winner has qualified in this year is seventh. And that was Brad Bender and Miguel Oliveira. Every other race winner this year has come from the front two rows. Most of them have come from the first row. Qualifying has become so important as MotoGP has got tighter and tighter. And Juan Mir needs to fix his qualifying, plain and simple. He's not got to fall into the trap of Valentino Rossi 2006 on the Camel Yamaha, which was always had Sunday speed, didn't have Saturday speed. Had to override, had to turn the engine up to 11, lost some engines. Yeah. There's a bit of that going on, a bit of history repeating itself. But 
fair play to Suzuki with a 1-2, of course, with Rins up there in, in third position as well. First time since Hopkins Vermeulen days. Mizano 2007. 2007, first year we went back to Mizano. Yeah, they are, they're there. Might this be one of those years when the winner of the championship hasn't won a Grand Prix like Emilio Althamora in 125 in 99? It might be one of those freaks because it is a freak year. I think what we're more likely to see is uh, a bit of a Nicky Hayden championship where the winner only wins one race if uh, if Mir is the eventual champion because he has so much speed that there will eventually be a day this year where he wins a race. You know, even if it's a a, a Maverick Vinales last week at Mizano where he does one of his 10th to second charges and the guy in front of him makes a mistake and fall off. Statistically, I think we're, we're almost certainly looking at a mere win at some point in 2020, whether or not he wins the championship. When Mir gets to the finish, his worst is a fifth. The trouble is he's had two non-scores and everybody around him has only had one non-score at the moment. So that's the thing that's really hurting him. Yeah, we are seeing we are seeing more and more non-scores starting to rack up while he's starting to look more and more consistent, you know? Look at Maverick Vinales, um, who at the start of the year looked quite strong, looked quite consistent, and then it all fell apart really quickly. Andrea De Vizioso started the year really strong on the podium, looking really consistent, and it all fell away really quickly. Sure, he's only recorded his first DNF, but he's also been, you know, scrapping for 10th. I think, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one all pans out. De Vizioso, 17th on the grid. I mean, Saturday afternoon, I was watching, and I just thought, you, you, there's no way you can win a championship if you're 17th on the grid. I know that the championship is not about one race, but he did make good progress. I specifically watched him off the line into the first corner, and I thought, and I actually shouted at the television, come on, he's going, he's doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it, watch him, watch him. The commentators are obviously watching the front of the grid. That's fine. That's totally understandable. You've only got one pair of eyes. I know. He made fantastic progress, but then the wobble, the off, and down he went. It's racing. That's the way it is. You did some analysis on how many times he's been taken out by other people. It was what? I've run out of fingers on both hands, I think. Well, I'd, I I counted seven uh, since the start of 2015. And then uh, I jumped in the van last night, did a bit of driving, stopped. And I'd got a text message from Cal Crutchlow to say, no, no, it's eighth. I did him in Sepang 2015. <laughs> I, I'm firmly of the belief that... Um, Luck is something you make for yourself, though. And Dovey is unlucky, but there has to be a part of that that sits on Dovey's shoulders, you know? Yesterday, he was unlucky, but title contenders shouldn't be starting from 17th. If he'd been starting from 8th, he wouldn't have been caught up in that. See Valentino Rossi 2006. If you're in the middle of the pack, exactly. he got knocked off at the first corner of the first race on the yellow camel exactly. Yamaha by little Tony Elias. But to qualify 17th when you've got other Ducatis flying in front of you, then, again, we come back to the full circle conversation of what the hell is going on in Team Red. Yeah. 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 It's not a happy camp. I've heard some more stories this weekend. It's not a happy camp. 
what a shame. Just what a shame when you've got that kind of budget, that kind of engineering resource, that kind of experience in MotoGP, again, that kind of budget, again, that kind of budget. <laughs> you know, they're not scraping around here. No. And they're arguing. What a shame. What a shame. But it's <laughs> it's me it's making other people make hay, isn't it? <laughs> that it um, is. Vinales started from the um uh forgive me. Vinales started from uh, the, the the front of the grid and yet he was sixteenth after the first lap and he was ninth at the end of the race. He came away with just seven points. He said afterwards, the only weak point is our top speed. I couldn't pass anybody. Well, Maverick, Quattararo didn't have the top speed either. So, yeah. Mm. In fact, Franco Morbidelli led much of the early stages of the race, and he's six kilometres an hour slower than all the 2020 Yamahas on the old 2019 spec bike. Um, Maverick... Maverick's debrief yesterday was one of the most bizarre MotoGP debriefs I've ever been in. It, it sounded like a man completely lost. We, we've had some weird Maverick debriefs over the years and we've had some days where he, uh, you know, where he said things that make you cringe a little bit. But yesterday was just, it was not the words of a man that is ever going to win a MotoGP championship until he sorts out his own head, never mind his own bike. He went on after the race. I couldn't do anything and was just losing positions. The championship could go away. This weekend, we made a mistake in the qualifying and we paid the price. It was all negative, as you say. Yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, he's saying, you know, it, it's like he's trying to... It, we all know it's a load rider psychological trick of trying to put all the blame in the bike. But, you know, he specifically said yesterday when he was asked about it, the start was just slow. There was nothing technically wrong with it. I just went back to 16th and I don't know why because the bike's not very fast. But then you listen to his onboard start and you can quite hear, quite clearly hear what sounds like him just missing a gear. You know, you can't keep blaming Yamaha whenever you're making silly mistakes. And that's what we're seeing at the minute. He has to... <sighs> It's almost like he has to start holding himself accountable for what he's doing wrong as well as what they're doing wrong. And until he fixes that, there's no point in fixing the bike. Because as we know, the bike is clearly good enough to win races. <laughs> Go and ask the garage next door. They've done quite well this year at that, you know? It's not easy. Yeah. It's easy for us holding a microphone to say, oh, you know, you've missed a gear. How silly is that? It's, they are the best in the world. There isn't unimaginable amount of pressure on these guys that either they put on themselves or that is put upon them by 60, 70, 80 million euro a year budgets by big Japanese management, yada, yada, yada. It, it all boils down to one person. If you've got 350 in the factory, there's still only one person that can make the difference. And that's, that can't be fun. That can't be fun. We've all been in there in those kind of situations, even if it is to a 1% degree of what these MotoGP racers are going through. But you can't make those mistakes. I'm sorry. If you're not good enough, they'll 
they'll plow you through and and they'll be sowing younger riders through very quickly and one of them will be alongside you next year mr maverick yeah he did the same in austria as well he got he got all lost as well didn't he yeah yeah i mean i tweeted at the time in the race he's got a technical problem because i was convinced he was and if i when i'm tweeting it's as if yeah. i'm commentating you know he's got a technical no problem. he he didn't we uh we saw Maverick, we saw Yamaha extend Maverick's deal for another two years before the season even started this year. Now that he's sitting alongside Fabio Quattararo, it's very, very difficult to see him getting two more years at the end of this deal. Well, he's got to turn it around. He's got to turn it around. People can soon forget a bad yeah. Barcelona 2020 if you start winning and you start being Mr. Consistent. But the pressure's on. The pressure's on. And we were having this conversation at this point in the 2017 state scene, just before they offered him a two-year extension. That's, you know, this is not a new occurrence. Another garage that knows it can do better is Honda. Nakagami, uh, Nakagami-san, he was the leading Honda he was flying, and in his post-race debrief, he was saying that he could have done a lot better. How much better? Worth pointing out that not only was he the leading Honda in the race, he has been the leading Honda in every race this year. He has scored the entirety of their Constructors' Championship points, and he is the only rider in the grid to have finished every race this year, let alone finish every race this year inside the top ten. He is Mr. Consistent for Honda this year. But after finishing seventh yesterday, he was absolutely livid because he was convinced that he could have won the race. He made a terrible, terrible start, which in his defense, he put his hands up and said he was really, really slow in the first three laps. By the end of lap 15, he was nine seconds off Fabio Quadraro in the lead. For the last 10 laps of the race, he was lapping at times three quarters of a second a lap quicker than Quattararo, and he ended the race just over three seconds from Fabio. If he'd managed to sort himself out a little bit earlier, there is a strong motivation for saying that, yeah, he wasn't actually um, just talking hot air whenever he felt like he deserved at least a podium yesterday, because the pace was there. It's going to give Honda some hope. It's They've lost their leading light. They've lost their golden child. We, we know all of that short term with, with Mark Marquez. We'll get round to him in a moment. But wouldn't have that been quite something to see the Honda win? <laughs> what do I always say? Didn't have that one in the script. The only thing about it, giving Honda hope is, I'm not sure how much hope they're going to be given from the fact that Nakagami's doing it all in the 2019 bike. Think about how well it's going to go down in Honda headquarters that every constructor's point they've scored this season was on last year's machine because this year's isn't good enough. He needs to start qualifying properly as well. You know, last three yeah, races, 14th on Saturday, 9th on Sunday, 12th and then 6th, 11th in Barcelona and then 7th. But as you say, he has done every single one of the... 915.673 race kilometers this year. So he says that uh, the problem they're having is that the, you know, we know the problem with the new Michelin rear tire. It's too grippy. It 
changes how the bike enters the corner because the rear pushes the front, etc., etc. Everyone complains about that. He says the problem they have is that they spend all weekend trying to get the engine braking strategy just right to address that problem. And they waste so much time doing that. They have no base setting that then it comes to qualifying and they don't have the, the, the speed they need. But if you look at the back-to-back -back races, the double headers, he has consistently been three or four places further forward in qualifying and in the race in all of those races. Because when they've got five or six days to sort it, they turn up to qualify and ready to go. What's of Mark Marquez? He made an appearance at the track. He went to the garage. He sat on the bike. He saw all his mechanics. What's the latest on Mark returning at the moment? Yeah, turned up on turned up on uh, Thursday to collect some stuff from the garage because he only lives an hour away, so he claimed. But spent a bit of time chatting to a few people. Sat in the bike, uh, had a conversation we learned yesterday with Fabio Quattararo about how the season was going. Just, you know, back about the paddock as you are. The latest from Honda officially is still, we will wait and see how Mark is feeling before we put him back out on a motorbike. Unofficially, I've heard he's thinking about a Le Mans attempt, which is, of course, only two weeks away. We don't know. He, he can make his mind up on the Thursday. Well, that's well. He can make his mind up on the Saturday. Uh, very true. Very true. All he's got to do is qualify. Yes. Mm, be interesting. Do you think when he returns, he'll be at the top? No. Or in the middle? I think he's going to come back. He's going to discover just how important physical fitness and training is for a MotoGP rider because he's, you can see, has lost a lot of the muscle mass that it takes to fight with the Honda. It's going to take some time for that to come back he's going to realize that the level has been altered because things have moved on. He's going to realize that there's a new Michelin rear tire that everyone else is slowly getting to grips with, but he has to start from scratch. Mm. And maybe he's going to realize mm. that he's not actually immortal. What's the other rumor about any races continuing, you know, in, in the calendar with, with this coronavirus has there been any talk in the paddock about some races not happening? We touched on it before, Simon, about do you try and lead every after every race in the championship? So we've got France, we've got Aragon, Aragon, uh, Valencia, Valencia, Portugal. Do you sort of have it in your mindset to just lead the championship just in case a race drops off? What, what's the inside word? There's a lot of talk in the paddock. There's a lot of people in the paddock really unhappy, really uneasy with the calendar, with the situation going forward. But there is a full steam ahead mentality from the, the management offices at Dorna where we will have every race, hell and high water be damned. Um, people are really unhappy about going to France next weekend for Le Mans. Um, the, the south region that Le Mans sits in is now a French government red area. Um, I haven't looked today, but yesterday there was 24,000 new cases of coronavirus in France. The, the, the paddock safety protocols have been really brought into question this weekend in Barcelona, which a lot of people aren't happy about. There's a, a long and detailed story on the race about that, talking to a few people that were willing to uh to go to go and say some things to me yeah it's all very uneasy at the minute in the paddock with regards to the that situation 
Well, let's hope that everybody sorts everything out and these races do go ahead as long as they are safe for everybody. And that is the rider all the way down to whoever is at the other end of the paddock. Everybody should be treated the same. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Also worth saying that, of course, safety is the number one priority. No one wants people getting sick. No one wants people spreading disease. But nobody wants a title decided by a positive coronavirus test either. No, no. And we saw uh, Jorge Martin missing a couple of races out of Moto2 as a, as a race winner already this year, then missing. So, yeah, that is a worry. That is a big worry. And you remember in Formula 1, uh, Sergio Perez from Racing Point, he got yeah. a positive and had to miss Silverstone. So, uh, Anybody can catch it from anything. It's all a bit it's all a bit odd. Anyway, <clears throat> we still have six Grand Prix remaining on the calendar. 150 points still in play. I remind you, Quateraro is just eight ahead of Juan Mir. 18 points ahead of Maverick Vinales. Wow. Are we looking at the 2020 MotoGP World Champion between the Frenchman and the two Spaniards on the Yamaha's and then the Suzuki. I remind you, when Mir finishes, he's strong, but he's had two non-finishes already this year. He's got to finish every race. They've all got to finish every race. But uh, I don't think any bookie will take your money at the moment. I would be interested i haven't looked at bookie's odds actually it might be interesting to have a look i know a few people very very happy with themselves who've been sending me tweets because they stuck 20 or 30 euros on uh one mere at the start of the year whenever he was like 125 to one so that could come off quite nicely <laughs> but it's just it's remarkable um I, I, we've got two guys now. For me, for the first time, we've got two people fighting for the championship. We've got two title contenders in Mir and Quattararo. Both of them have less than 30 races each in the premier class. You know, I've been banging the drum for this being a change in the guard for quite some time, but it's unreal. You know, we've got two kids just going hell for leather to, to try and win races and, and this mad championship. It's amazing. And all while Valentino Rossi did his 350th Premier Grand Prix start yesterday in Barcelona. Which is over a third of all Premier class races ever. <laughs> With that slightly brain-fuddling stats, our next MotoGP podcast will be next week, even though there isn't a race before Le Mans. Look out for our Twitter accounts with at WeAreTheRace, at Denkmit for Simon and at Toby Moody for myself. Do like and subscribe. Click away on those buttons. Thank you for joining us. We will speak to you very soon.